when uh, when Katie was talking about that mission trip back in 2012, I know in a couple weeks you guys will be hearing about the trips that you all will be taking as a Kaiapha at WVU. So think about it. Somebody is going to be impacted in some other state or in some other country because you're willing to go because they were willing to go back in 2012. And what Katie talked about, about this reality of, man, what could God do if people would be willing and if people would be obedient? You have the opportunity to change destiny for people if you'll be obedient to Jesus and allow him to use you on a trip that maybe is just down the road in West Virginia or maybe is on the other side of the earth. And that is just, uh, I think, one of the, the best parts of what about, about what I get to do in, in leading Chi Alpha is just get a, to sit on the front row and see how Jesus is at work in people's lives and just to celebrate and just say, God, you're amazing. You're absolutely amazing. If you're here and you do not know Jesus, you're around people that love him and have been so powerfully loved by him that their lives are not the same and their lives will never be the same. And I know that they would be excited to share with you guys um, about what he has taught them. And you guys have such a great staff team here. It's been sweet to, to watch what God has been doing in their lives and to be part of their journey and just to see how they're just honor one another and loving one another and, and fighting alongside one another for, for you, for you all and for the sake of God's kingdom and your all's hearts and lives. And, uh, I know we're, we're sharpened by being near them and being, um, just being friends with them. I just want to pray uh, to, to start us off, and then we'll, we'll kind of jump into this. Jesus, um, first off, Lord, I'm, I'm in awe of you. When I stand in this room and I think about what you have done, you are you're absolutely amazing. You're amazing, Lord. When I think about just there wasn't really much of anything with respect to Kyle for five years ago, and you have so multiplied that, Lord, and and, Lord, you don't care just about the numbers because every person here is so precious to you. And, Lord, you care so much for them. Lord, you're so desperately concerned about their lives. And you're so relentlessly concerned about their lives. Lord, I just pray somehow in the midst of uh, me giving the best of what I have to give, Lord, you would, you would give greatly into their lives, Lord. And, and uh, every one of us, God, would respond to your word as you would desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you guys have been in a series on the minor prophets, not because they're smaller than other prophets, uh, but because their books in the Bible are actually shorter. That's about the only thing. But these minor prophets are intense dudes. They are intense dudes. They have, uh, you guys have encountered men of great character so far, men of great faith, of astounding virtue, and, and astounding trust in the power of God in their lives. And uh, these are great stories about men who proved faithful to God when most of their countrymen were not being faithful to God, or most of the people they were to speak to were not being faithful to God. And yet they proved so faithful. And tonight, that description, that, that description of, of a prophet and, and how they have been is not Jonah at all. And that's who I'm talking about is Jonah. So I thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to be here with you tonight on this one. It's a great story, but it's not the story of a great man. Um, and I want us to get ready for tonight's message by watching a short video, maybe three and a half minutes long, because this is Jonah and the Whale. So I want you to watch this video. Way from the boat when two suddenly appeared out of nowhere. 
These animals don't actually feed on their prey, but at Earth Anthropologist, we've been debating what would happen if you were swallowed by a whale. Well, it's impossible to say for sure. If it was a filter-feeding whale like those in the video, you might actually survive. When a humpback or blue whale feeds, they shoot up towards the surface with their mouths agape, and the skin around their throat is actually pleated. It's a, a bit like a giant parachute, allowing it to take on so much water that actually the weight of fluid inside their mouth is equal to the weight of the whale. Imagine being inside at this point. As the mouth closes around you and suddenly your world goes dark, you become surrounded by thousands of fish and tiny crustaceans. Assuming you've got scuba gear on so you don't die from lack of oxygen in the first few minutes, you will in fact get a terrifying but brilliant insight into how a whale feeds. Before a baleen whale swallows its mouthful of food, including you, it forces its tongue up to the roof of its mouth, pushing the water out through these giant filters, effectively draining its mouth of all the water, leaving the fish and you behind. The next stage is for the whale to swallow its prey, but you might be surprised to hear that the esophagus, the gullet of the gargantuan humpback whale, is just 10 to 20 centimetres across, so it could never actually swallow you. So you're more than likely to get spat out, but you're not safe yet. Having been spewed up, your body may well then become exposed to huge amounts of water pressure, depending on what depth the whale actually chucked you out of its mouth. Humpbacks often dive over 200 metres beneath the surface, and at this depth, the pressure would be 20 times what it is at sea level. So without a special mixture of gases to breathe in your scuba gear, you'd almost certainly suffer some serious complications. But not all dives are this deep. When they're feeding, they'll often stay within 20 meters of the surface, which is survivable. The biggest danger then is being hit by one of these whales. Even a light brush from one of their fins could knock you out or even kill you. That's why it's so important to keep your distance from these beautiful leviathans. So it's imperative never to approach a whale closer than 100 meters for their safety and for yours. For more wildlife facts, subscribe, and I'll see you soon. Okay, so don't approach any whales. Good to know. I can watch those types of videos all day long, man. I love those videos. So interesting. I don't know, for those of you that, I didn't grow up in church, but for those of you that did grow up in church, I don't know if you've ever experienced any sort of tension with this story. That sometimes, like there's, I've got a picture here, sometimes this is what you see. It's like... Happy little whale swallows happy little Jonah with his happy little starfish on his shoulder. And you kind of get this thing, this thing that you feel and this thing that you wonder about. And maybe people are saying, or maybe you're in this room and saying this, that like this is like vacation Bible school stuff where Christians take vacation from reality. And this is like the stuff that makes it so hard for me to believe in Christianity or believe the Bible is real. A guy survives in the belly of some whale. Come on. Come on. But then Jesus the most influential person in human history. If you haven't looked into him, you really ought to. It would uh, be wise to do that. Most influential person in human history. He said something that I can't shake in his first gospel. And the gospels being the, the four eyewitness testimonies about Jesus in the New Testament, the life and teachings of Jesus. One of them, a guy by the name of Matthew, has a phenomenal name, was a former tax collector. And uh, 
so someone who, who kept great records undoubtedly because he was trying to count every penny and every dollar and every shekel or whatever else. But he recorded in his gospel in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, for as Jonah was three days, and Jesus is speaking here, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And for Jesus, this was a real event, fantastic but not fantasy. And to Jesus, this story meant something. It meant something. Jonah had a, I don't know, man, his, his story, his story, he, he was a prophet, and he had started well in his story. Um, if He was a man called by God to tell God's message to people, and he had already delivered a message back in 2 Kings 14.25. We find out that he had delivered a message to the king because the, the Jewish people, their kingdom, had already lost a bunch of territory that God had promised to them. And he challenged the king and told him what, the, what God was saying. And so that king was so encouraged by this that he went out and reclaimed that land that they had been promised by God. In 2 Kings 14.25, and according to Jewish tradition, Jonah is the son of the widow at Zarephath. And you can read about that in the Old Testament, that Elijah raised from the dead. So he's the son that was raised from the dead, which would be kind of a crazy story if that was him. And that also he had anointed one of the kings of Israel. So he's the man. And prophets were supposed to be pure and true all the time when everyone else was disobedient and unwilling to follow God. They were, they were kind of like Mission Impossible guys. That was their life. Prophets said whatever God told them to, regardless of who they were talking to. And God downloaded a simple message, a really simple message to Jonah. This man of great faith and power in verse 2 of Jonah chapter 1. And it says, go, God said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And this is like God telling Billy Graham or Rick Warren or somebody else, I want you to go to the Middle East and I want you to preach against ISIS for their wickedness has come up before me. I want you to go to those people that slaughter the innocent and kill all those folks and I want you to go and preach to them. Go and preach one simple message. And Jonah wasn't scared of anybody. Jonah wasn't scared of anything. In fact, he wasn't even scared of God. He had no fear about anything. And Mr. Impossible in this moment went rogue instead of going to Nineveh. In fact, he, and when God wanted him to walk out the door of his house and go left, he walked out the door and went right. He went down off the front step of his house. He went down to the city of Joppa, running in the opposite direction of where he was supposed to go. And then he went down to the harbor of that city to try to find a ship to sail away in, to actually flee that hardcore away from God. He found the ship, and he went down off the dock into that ship. And then he, when he got onto that ship, he went down below deck to the quarters that he had purchased on that ship. And then he lay down to sleep. Down, 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 down to run away, to flee from the living God, and to flee from the mission that God had sent him on, and the simple message that God had given him, directly disobeying what God told him to do. And as that ship began to sit, to set sail, as they began to get away from the, the land that, that, that they were on, and he began his journey away from the mission that God had called him on. Wind started picking up. Waves started getting larger. Men began scattering across the deck because what began as a great breeze to, to sail by suddenly became batting down the hatches, tighten up the jib, tie down the sea anchor. I mean, all these things, all these phrases from these sailors started being yelled out because suddenly the seas were angry that day, my friend. Some of you know what that's from. So men were scattering across the deck, ensuring that life and cargo hopefully would not be lost in the midst of all this, tying things down, and the winds kept increasing and the cre increasing. 
And suddenly they're having to scream at one another and scream out like, what is going on with all this? What's happening with all this? And they begin calling out to their gods because in that day, people would believe that every plot of land had its own God. And so they're calling on the gods of their homeland. But the sea is different. The sea is chaos. There is no God that rules this place. This place is chaos and it's terror and it's violence. And so what do you do when you're calling on the God of your homeland, but he has no power in this place? And so they're calling again and again out to their gods, and fear is the feeling that is welling up inside each one of them, starting to make its way to terror. And at this point, they start taking the, the uh, tackle and taking all the cargo and throwing it overboard, hoping, hoping to lighten the load of the ship, to lift the ship a little further out of the water so that the waves wouldn't overcome the ship, so that the ship would not be sunk in that moment. And men are, are tossing stuff all, up on deck, and other men are throwing it overboard. And in the midst of all this, the captain goes below deck to try to help the process along and he looks over in the corner and there's a dude asleep Jonah asleep and he looks at him and says get up get up call on your God for maybe he will help us out what are you doing here get up get up maybe he'll take notice of us and Jonah gets up and then with all men on deck the sailors are accusing and accosting one another trying to figure out who's to blame when finally they decide they're going to cast lots, they're going to roll the dice, they're going to draw straws to see who's at fault for what is going on here to determine which of them had committed some horrible sin to which some god was exacting vengeance on them. And then all, everybody on that ship was experiencing this. So they circle up trying to stay upright as a ship lists back and forth in the midst of all these waves and the waves are smashing again and the sea spray is going on them and the rains are coming down. All this is going on and bones and pieces of shell are cast on the deck and the lot falls to Jonah the man who had slept through most of the ordeal the man so quiet and stoic and unemotional as they lived in utter terror and they bellow out over the noise is it you or someone else who's responsible what horrible work do do you do that some god is so viciously judging you and us in the midst of all this what is your country who are your people and Jonah answers simply I am a Hebrew and I worship the one true God of heaven who always was and always is and always will be. And I am a spokesman for the God who created the land and the heaven and the sea. And he told me to go deliver a message to one of our enemies, but I didn't want to, so I ran the other way. And as terrified as they were before, this was worse. Because you mean there is a God who created all this, who's over our land and home and over the sea here, and he created all this and he is mad? And he's ticked off. There's a God who rules the chaos, and this guy works for him, this guy who's supposed to be speaking on his behalf, and Jonah is directly and willfully disobeying this God. They cry out in astonishment to him, What have you done? What have you done? They were disturbed and taken aback by the magnitude of his disobedience, this willful disobedience, and at this point, it's sheer terror. How in the world are you going to overcome this? How in the world are you, what are you supposed to do in the midst of all this? And the seas keep growing worse. The waves keep getting larger. The storm keeps getting worse in the midst of all this. And every man is soaked. Every man is crying out. Every man is yelling out curses and they're terrified. They're looking at Jonah and pleading, what do we do? How do we calm the sea? And Jonah owns up in this moment. In this moment, and he says, pick me up and throw me over. I need your help. It's my fault that this great storm has come upon us. I'm the reason your lives are on the razor's edge. Throw me over and the seas will grow calm. What? Throw me over and the seas will grow calm. And these guys are like, that's a terrible idea. 
You mean there's a God who rules the heaven and the earth and the sea, and you're his spokesman, and you disobeyed him, and you, now you want us to kill you. As if this God isn't mad enough already, and now we're supposed to kill you? That's supposed to make this better? And so they start, like, drop sail, and they start trying to row to land. They're land hoy. Oh, let's go, let's go, let's go. They're trying to get there, but they can't make any headway. And finally, they give in, and they cry out to the Lord, Please don't hold this sin against us by throwing Jonah into the sea. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Please don't hold us responsible for this. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And then Jonah dropped deeper and deeper through this now still water. No storm, no waves, no darkened sky. While above him, blood flows across the deck of the ship and smoke begins to rise as they offer up offerings to the one true God of heaven and earth and sea, trying to appease him making offerings of every, every sort, vowing and promising and crossing their hearts and hope to die and whatever else they could say to him, committing everything in trust to him. They're promising the world because the one true God was angry and now they've killed his prophet. And Jonah sinks to the death he knows he deserves. And just as the last of his breath is about to give way, Jonah records in his memoir what happened in the last verse of Jonah chapter 1. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I'll be honest, I don't care about fish or whales or sharks. I'm not worried about the size of the throat of the fin whale, which is the second largest whale on earth and the largest that ever goes in the Mediterranean where this most likely happened. And stands or is the length of about 10 or 12 Jonahs probably. Because this isn't a story about any of those things. This is a story about disobedience. That's what this story is really about. And I know what disobedience is because I've lived it. And the reality is I believe you know what disobedience is because you've lived it as well. We all know that we have Jonah in our heart because at one time or another, or maybe even today, we've all run from something that God has specifically told us to do. Whether we knew it explicitly because we had read it or we had heard it or whether we just knew, we just knew that there was something we were supposed to be doing and we ran away from it. We've all run away. It may not have been on a ship to Tarshish, which is so hard to say, but we've all run from God's commands. This is a story of disobedience. It's not vacation. It's not fantasy. We all know this story. This story is our story. Jonah's is a story of disobedience it's a story of running away from God. And maybe, maybe your story was not to tell God's story to ISIS, but maybe yours was to tell it to your roommate or your professor or your teammate or your dad. Maybe yours wasn't to be a prophet, but yours was to be faithful in your campus job or on your research project or as a small group leader. And maybe yours wasn't to know exactly every intricacy of the Old Testament law, but maybe yours was to know enough to ask for forgiveness from God. Or maybe yours was to be honest with a, with a professor. Maybe yours was to tell the truth. Maybe, maybe yours was to stop exaggerating the truth. It's his story, and it's our story of disobedience, but the reality is it's also God's story. It's God's story of relentless grace in the midst of our disobedience. And if you don't know what grace is, let me say it this way. It's, it's God's story of relentless kindness that we have not deserved, that Jonah did not deserve, did nothing to earn, in the midst of his disobedience. And it shouldn't surprise us that disobedience is problematic for our relationship with God. 
because we've already experienced that in other areas of our life, right? And in our relationship with our parents or whoever, whoever it was that you grew up with, at times when they told you this one thing that you, they, you knew and they knew you were supposed to do and you willfully did not do it, usually it causes trust issues, right? I mean, we know this. Even in relationships that, that aren't uh, a parent-child, if you're a coach and player or other, other kind of relationships, we know it when we break, when we, when we disobey a direct command. It breaks that trust. Can they say, well, can I trust them next time to do this? When, we, when I need them to come through, when I need them to do this, can I trust them next time? And it's not different with our, with our relationship with the Lord. And we see that with Jonah. Disobedience is distracting. Jonah had a mission. He was supposed to go to Nineveh. And these guys on the ship were trying to get to Tarshish. And nobody got to go where they wanted to go in this moment. Nobody got to where they were supposed to be. Jonah had a purpose and a mission from God, and his disobedience wasn't a little distraction, but a massive one. Disobedience turns the rudder of our life in a very different direction from God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for us. And not only is disobedience distracting, but disobedience is destructive. Jonah kept his life, but I tell you what, those guys on that ship, I'm sure they were glad to be alive, when they realized that all the ships tackle and all the ships cargo, the stuff they were supposed to make money on is gone. It destroyed all of it. It's all gone. All that stuff that was supposed to make a difference, all that some of them maybe had staked their livelihood on, it's gone. Disobedience is distracting. It's destructive, but it's also dishonoring and disloyal. And that was the thing that hit them when they're like, what have you done? You're supposed to be a spokesman for this one true God. What are you doing? And we know that, we feel that. How many times we've seen it on the news or some headline and we're like, why would that person in charge of that church or of that denomination or that movement, why would they do something so heinous and so obviously stupid and disobedient and wrong? And it hits us. I remember several years ago we were at something like, kind of like Fall Advance uh, that was back in the day, it was just, just our students. There was no WVU Chi Alpha that was uh, kind of running strong right then. And uh, we had a young lady from a Muslim background uh, that was, had become part of our group. And she wasn't a Christian at that point, but it was a Saturday morning. We were at breakfast, and I wanted to explain to her the fact that we were having water baptisms later on that day. And I just wanted her to understand it because I also felt like she was, made, she was kind of on a, a path towards following Jesus. And I wanted her to get what this was all about. And so I was explaining water baptism to her, and then she, said, she asked me a very poignant question. She said, well, if people are making this decision and they're making this public statement, why is it that they so often do the very things they vow they're never going to do again? And I kind of said the same thing. Hmm. Uh, It's not a very fun question to try to answer. Why do they so cavalierly disobey? It's a painful question to answer in that moment. How many times do we appear disconnected from Jesus because of our disobedience? How many times do we make him look bad? If you're a follower of Jesus, how many times do you, or have, as me as a follower of Jesus, how, do, how many times do we dishonor him by being disobedient to him? But as, as, man, as rough as all these things are, as rough as the story of Jonah is in the moment when he jumps overboard and he has no idea if he's going to live, as rough as the, the terror of being on a ship that you don't know what's going to happen, if it's going to rip apart any moment, that those, none of those were the scariest part of this story for me. The scariest part of the story happens early in the story. And it's the, star, it's the part where the danger becomes really clear. It's because disobedience is dangerous. It's the part when we find out in the midst of all that's going on that Jonah is in a deep sleep. 
He's in the midst of running directly away from what God wants him to do, and he is so comfortable with it. He doesn't, it's, it's not like he just lays down. He like, no problem. I'm sleeping so well and so deeply, it can storm around me. Water can splash on me. You could do whatever you want to me. I'm just so at peace. That's the scariest part of the story to me, that he is so comfortable with his disobedience that it doesn't bother him at all. And I hear that, and I'm like, oh, God, please don't let my heart be like that. Please never allow me to get to a place. Please never allow me to get to a place where I am so comfortable in my disobedience that I lay down and just sleep. And I'm not bothered in my heart. I'm not convicted in my spirit. Disobedience is so dangerous. Jonah had to have someone shake him awake. This pagan ship captain who was probably F-bombing all over the place and dropping four-letter words, shaking him, saying, get up. Get up, man. Get up. What's wrong with you? What are you doing? Come on. Wake up. Call on your God. He has to have this pagan guy who doesn't even believe in his God tell him you need to call on God. But even that is just this picture of the relentless grace of God. And maybe you feel like God is harsh. Maybe you feel like God is vindictive or mean. But in the midst of this guy's vast disobedience, directly doing something against what God had told him to do. God had gave him a simple command, and he went 180, like way down the other direction. He wasn't just at Evansdale. He was at Health Sciences. Then he had taken a bus, and he was like in Frostburg at this point. (laughs) Way gone. And yet, in the midst of all that, God is shaking earth and sea to get through to him. God is using any means necessary to get through to him. Disobedience is destructive and distracting. It's dishonoring and disloyal. And man, it's dangerous. But because of God's relentless grace, Jonah began to navigate his way out. And he got help to get up. The ship's captain woke him up, as I said, pointed out the storm, reminded him of of his God. He got help to own up. They cast lots, and finally he came forward. Yeah, it was my fault. And he got help to go all in. You guys got to toss me overboard. He got help to get up, to go, uh, to own up, and to go all in. In some ways, though, this sounds like a big can of Christian cheese, right? Three easy steps to overcoming our problems. All right? 17 simple steps to achieve God's joy. 42 simple ways to stop looking at porn. All these things. Let's be real. Jonah needed help. He could do nothing on his own. He could do nothing on his own. If there is any connection between Jonah's story and our story, is that we are in deep trouble if God doesn't show up, particularly if God doesn't show up and put some people in our lives that will help us to navigate our way out. Yes, we need to get up and recognize how offensive our sin, our sin is. Yes, we need to own up and take responsibility for the things that we have done. Yes, we need to go all in and throw ourselves upon God, trusting him to do what we cannot do on our own. And yes, we need to do all these things, but we need his help for every step of the way. Every step of the way. It was only because of God's relentless grace that Jonah got any help. Whatever you think about God, man, you have to reckon with that fact. He could have let Jonah just run away, but he went after him. And he didn't go after him because he was so holy and pure and noble and right. He went after him because he loved him. And he went after him for the sake of a people that had tried to kill 
Jonah's people again and again and lived in such an unholy way and an ungodly way. He went after him for all that. We've all disobeyed. We've all run away from God. How will we ever get over and get past our disobedience and our running away from God? And I think the, the answer to that question is in this question, why did Jesus care so much about this story? Why would Jesus reflect on it at all? Why would he point it out? And part of it undoubtedly was because Jonah would spend three dates and three nights in a tomb. His just happened to be a sea creature. While Jesus was actually a stone tomb after he died, and he spent three days and three nights in that stone tomb, and then both of them came out alive. And that's, I'm sure, part of the reason. But I think there's more here than just that. Why did Jesus care about this story? I think it's because Jesus is the true and better Jonah. There are aspects of Jonah's story where we can see Jesus at work. Not, the, not a story of disobedience with Jesus, but of radical obedience from Jesus. Jesus' story was the opposite of disobedience. While disobedience is distracting, Jesus stayed focused on the goal of the cross where he would die for the sins of all humanity for all time in one moment, even though he was betrayed, beaten, spat upon, even though that those were, that clo- were closest to him just ran away. In his most painful moment, even though those that vowed to never run away and to vow to be at his, at his side hours later left him. In the midst of all that, he was not distracted. Disobedience is destructive, but Jesus brought life and life more abundantly. Even if you lose all with him, you, great, you gain the greatest treasure, him. And disobedience is dishonoring and disloyal. But even in Jesus' darkest moment when he kneeled down in a garden and cried out, God, Heavenly Father, if there is another way for us to accomplish the reconciliation of all mankind to you, the opportunity for that to be available for every person, if there's another way, can I take that one instead of this one? But not my will. Your will be done. And he yielded when there was no other way. He yielded and did what he saw and heard his Heavenly Father doing. Disobedience is dangerous, but Jesus' heart was always soft and tender toward the will of his heavenly father. His father's voice was the one he listened to. Think about that. Jonah ran from God. Jesus ran toward us. All these ways that that mankind tries to make a path to God, there is no path to God. Why? Because there's a path from God to man. From God to man. One that Jesus blazed for us. Jonah had to have someone yell, get up. Jesus is the one yelling, get up to us. He may be whispering in that in your heart today. I don't know. Jonah had to be prodded to own up to what he has done. But when the lot is cast on us, when it's obvious that we are at fault, when we have to stand before Jesus and say, yes, that was me. He's the one who says, yeah, I know that was you, but I'm going to step into your spot. And when Jonah asked them to toss him overboard to go all in, Jesus is the one who says, no one can take my life. I, I lay it down and I take it up of my own. Jesus is the one who says, I don't need anybody to help me overboard. I can go myself and I will go myself. Do you see what his story picture, gives us a picture of? I think about for me, as I mentioned earlier, I, did, I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't have a whole like, big context for all these Bible stories. I wouldn't have known, honestly. I mean, at your age, I was just starting to learn who Jonah was from Noah, for, from Moses, and I, I knew they weren't Jesus. I didn't know a whole lot more than that, really. And I, 
I didn't, I didn't set out on some search after God. I, I wasn't in this place of like big brokenness in my life. Honestly, I went to a church one time because a girl invited me and I was super interested in her. And I would venture to say there may be a man or two here tonight that is here for the same reason that I went to that church. But I was interrupted because God had a path from him to me. God had a path from him to me. And when I, I went in not caring about, about I mean, I, I wasn't opposed to God. I thought I believed in God, but I just, it was like not of interest to me. And God interrupted all that. And all of a sudden I, I walked out like, I, I want this. I have to have this. I did not, I didn't even know this was like a thing. I have to have this. Because he went after me. Because he went after me. Jesus, Jesus made the ultimate way for us to be rescued from our disobedience. He pursues us, telling us to get up, to own up, to go all in. And he's the one who helps us by his hand. He's the one who helps us to accomplish it. That's the crazy part. Think about it. We can do nothing on our own. He's the one who says, I want you to do this, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to help you do the entire thing. He's the one who says, you can't save yourself. In fact, there's nothing that you can do, but I'm going to go ahead and do it for you. And all you have to do is receive it. And then just trust and walk with me. This life with him is like again and again, trust, trust. Will I trust him and will I obey him? Will I trust him and will I obey him? Jonah saved a whole crew of men by jumping off a boat. But he was the one who caused the storm. It was his fault they were in this mess. Jesus says, you caused the storm. I'll jump off the boat and I'll save you. I'll make a way for you even though it's your storm and I didn't have anything to do with it. That's how Jesus is. So what are you going to do? I encourage you to trust Jesus and receive his help to get up out of wherever it is you are. If you're in a place of disobedience in your own life right now, I, I just encourage you to get up, to own up to that before him and then to go all in. And the beautiful part is if you're willing, he will help you. If you will trust him, he will give you all you need including a bunch of people around you to help out. That was the, kind of the beautiful part of Jonah's story is God gave him people all along the way to do what he needed to do. God's help was through people around him. And as we get ready to enter into this, this time of worship together, I'm going to invite Katie and the rest of the team, if you guys would go ahead and come on up. This called it to get up, to own up. And to go all in, Jonah didn't know what would happen when he was tossed overboard, right? When you read the story, he, di he didn't know what was coming. He didn't know there would be a big fish that God would provide to swallow him. He had no idea. And, that, and that's part of the honest reality of, of uh, what I have to say. Like if, if you get up and you own up and you go all in with Jesus, I can't guarantee if your life is, is like a mess right now, I can't, can't guarantee there's some big fish that will just swallow all the mess and magically it goes away and it's clear skies and sunny days and everybody dances and sings. But I can guarantee that if you get up, own up, and go all in with him, he is there with you every step of the way. And he will meet you on the edge of the boat, he will meet you on the water, and he will be right there to walk with you. And whatever it looks like that he provides to make a way, it will be because he knows exactly what it is that you need and because he cares so deeply and desperately about you.
That's his heart. That's his heart. His heart is so amazing. His kindness, that relentless grace, that relentless kindness to not give us, not give us what we deserve for our disobedience. So as we enter into this time of worship, I encourage you, if you do not know Jesus Christ, he is the only one who can truly rescue you from the disobedience of your own heart and life. He's the only one who can rescue you and, and set you on a path where, we can, where you can walk with him day after day, knowing him and being transformed by him. I'm a different person than I was prior to knowing him because of what Jesus has done in me, not because of anything special, not because I'm a pastor or something like that, but because of him. But I encourage you as we, as we enter into this time of worship, man, connect with your small group leader. Find a staff person and ask them, would you pray with me? I want to get up. I want to own up. I want to go all in with Jesus. I've been messing around. I've been checking things out, and now's the night I want that to happen. But maybe you already know Jesus. Maybe some of the rest of you all already know Jesus. If there is something in your life where you know there's a point of disobedience that you need to address, man, make that happen now. Don't be like Jonah. Don't allow yourself that your heart becomes hard and you're willing to fall into a deep sleep where, you, where, you're, not, where you're not able to hear his voice anymore and he has to use like radical measures to try to reach out to you. Don't allow that to happen. His care and his concern are too great. Today's the day to stop running. And maybe it's a call on your life. Maybe it's a call to live up to the commitments you've made. Maybe it's a call to read daily his word. With Jesus' help, you can do that, though. You can get up. You can own up. You can go all in. His relentless grace will be enough for you. And I encourage you, if that's the case for you, man, find your small group leader. Small group leaders, find your resource leader. Ask them to pray with you at some point during this. Don't take this a time to sing songs that other people are singing while in your heart there's turmoil and storm. And the ship is listing back and forth. Let peace come because you address this with the help of others and ultimately with his great help, with his great concern for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you. We thank you for that relentless grace. Though we understand that we, what we have to do, we can't stay where we are. We understand, God, we have to own up to what it is that we have done. We have to confess that to you. We understand we have, to, we have to trust you so much. But, Lord, you help us. The fact that you would help us on every step of the way, we're so grateful for that. God, I look out at this room, and I see what you've accomplished so far in five years, God, but I wonder if there, there were young men and women in this room so willing, willing, so unwilling, God, to allow areas of disobedience to reside in their lives. Lord, what, what could you accomplish beyond this? Beyond this on this campus, Lord, but certainly beyond the borders of this campus, Lord, in their families and the marketplaces that they'll enter on, the mission fields that they'll step onto. Oh, Lord, what you could do. Lord, may our hearts, may our hearts be soft towards you, not hard as Jonah's was. May our hearts be willing to listen to you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.